0: Thank <laughs> you. Day two is the worst of it, I think. Not that the other days are, like, super fun, but they're not as bad as day two.
1: Yeah, no. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Cindy. How you doing? Well, this is True Crime Tuesday, and uh, outside of normal here, me and uh, lucky me from 620 Patio.
0: Hello, everybody.
1: Today, we have the Golden State Killer. Angelo. It's a really crazy case, actually.
0: It is. This one, I think, might could take us to two episodes, but we'll see how much we get through.
1: There is a lot to go through. I mean, a lot to go through.
0: Yes, I I agree.
1: It's been a whole episode talking about how a man can have a, uh, a KCC Chiefs fan. How a, uh,
0: hey, how a man can have a family
1: pay. and three kids and, and do all this at the same time. Hey, right? Did. I find it hard enough just to keep up the family in general. Hey, go Chiefs.
0: Hey, Eric. Right, hey, Shelby.
1: How did you not get the... What happened?
0: What happened?
1: I guess I didn't give her an email. I'm like, oops.
0: Oops. No, I didn't get an email invite. It's okay. It's okay.
1: I think I was in a hurry to get the show started. Hey, you know here?
0: Okay. I, I was in here, but then I had to exit out because it was like, I don't know, a weird freaking screen.
1: Hey, Shane. How about those cheese?
0: I am now.
1: We won't talk about how scripted that game was.
0: Oh, Please.
1: I don't know. I've been watching evidence on it all day. <laughs> They're going to
0: show evidence of all co- They could. I'm not even going to get into conspiracy theories. It's pretty
1: convincing. You see some of the players just running. Oh, the come on,
0: line. Lucky. You know the 49ers should have won that game. No, you see, what? like, when Patrick yes. Mahomes is running
1: uh, the ball, I think it's the second time he ran the ball for, like, 36 yards or whatever. You see San Francisco yeah. players running out of the way onto the sideline to get out of his way. Yeah. It no. was a
0: setup from the video. Whatever. That's called Poor Loser.
1: Oh, I'm a Panthers Whatever. fan. I had no. <laughs> I was a loser before the season started.
0: <laughs> no, I'm for I'm, I'm the Cowboys. I could care less. But, you know. but that's not why we're here tonight.
1: No. 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 It was a good win for the Chiefs, though. Good for them. Go,
0: Chiefs! <laughs> saying in the background
1: <laughs> yeah 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 i'm, I'm glad they wanted for no other reason early...
0: uh i think i lost you uh, I think you did
2: i know
1: there i'm y'all can, I think hear, I'm me. Back. can y'all yep. hear
0: me can y'all hear me yep we yeah, can now <laughs> you were saying something and all of a sudden you were boop, yeah, gone. yeah yeah i
1: noticed that like <laughs> Like
0: you came unplugged,
1: like the ambient volume in my headphones just went away, and I was just like,
0: just gone, oh, there it goes, Whatever you're touching, you need to stop touching it. see he's gone and Chiefs, I know he's hanging that's my he's my royal booty, hey, that's my sissy. <laughs> Watch for sissy. Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. You wiped your sissy. mouth,
0: Miss Shelby. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> sissy. That?
1: That's twice has done, done that to me.
0: She's started it. <laughs> just... Yeah, so whatever you touch, don't touch it.
1: Yeah, I didn't touch anything. That's the problem. I didn't mess with anything. All right, I'll we'll try this again. Joseph James D'Angelo's. Yes. Ah, hot.
0: Okay, he got quiet. I thought he left again. I was like, oh crap.
1: No, I took a bite of of hot food.
0: What are we eating tonight? Pork chops. Uh, (laughs) Oh, you're having pork chops. What are you having?
1: No, Salisbury steak.
0: Oh, the Salisbury steak. Shane's making us potato boat and steaks on the grill. I'm so excited. I'm lying.
1: I'm eating cube steak and gravy.
0: Tuesdays are my favorite Oh, bacon, bacon and, and eggs, eggs. Ooh, that sounds good I love that she knows me so well I love breakfast that's my favorite food genre we have spaghetti with meatballs I'm waiting for the hubby to come home to eat
1: so you haven't tried it yet
0: no I haven't tried it I'm waiting for him to try it first <laughs>
1: all right so all right well
0: so i watched this before um obviously before the podcast and all that stuff i had watched this on um i don't remember if it was on netflix or if it was on
1: yeah i think it was netflix um, they had the special
0: network tv but it was like a series, and I remember there being like four and five episodes just to get through all of what this guy did. Oh, yeah. Um, it was crazy what this guy... Okay.
1: So, uh, Joseph James DeAngelo Jr. He was born on November 8, 1945 mm-hmm. in Bath, New York to Kathleen K. Louise DeGroat. And Joseph James D'Angelo Sr. A sergeant in the United States Army. He had uh two older sisters, Connie and Rebecca, and a younger brother, John. Um <clears throat> they reported that when D'Angelo was a young child, he witnessed a rape of Connie by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany where the family was stationed at the time. And uh following his conviction later on. <laughs> His sister, uh, Rebecca, I don't know if that's who it is, or it could have been... Who's Rebecca? I gotta find out who Rebecca was. Anyways, uh, Rebecca claimed that he was abused by their father. While I was growing up in pretty sure his sister Rebecca. Um, yep. Between 1959 and 1960, D'Angelo attended Mills Junior High School in Ranchero <coughs> Cordova, California. And beginning in 1961, he attended Folsom High School, where he received a GED certificate in 1964... And he played on the school's junior varsity baseball team. Uh, prosecutors reported that D'Angelo had committed burglaries and tortured and killed animals during his teenage years. Sorry about it. Um, D'Angelo joined the United States Navy in September 1964 and served for 22 months during the Vietnam War as a damage controlman on the cruiser USS Canberra and the destroyer tender USS Piedmont. So uh, what is... Shane
0: uh, and I were stationed on destroyer tenders. Okay, go ahead. I was going to ask you what that was. What is a damage controlman? A damage controlman is, uh, in the simplest terms, is the fireman on the ship. Um, They are trained... Not only to um how to put out the fire, but how to like repair immediate emergency repair like shore up uh walls or holes or um, yeah for missile strikes or anything like that, they were also able to work in different various shops around the ship because they really weren't trained um in like welding or machine fitting or any of that kind of stuff. So they they could work in any particular area. So a destroy tender is a destroyer tender is what Shane and I were on. So we um, there's a bunch of different workshops on this ship and they would go to different ports and fix things that were wrong or needed repaired on on various ships that were stationed or coming into port. Um, to get something worked on, so we had damage controlmen, we call them DCs, um, in our shop, and we were in the carpenter shop. So we insulated workbenches and tiled floors, and um, we had a woodworking uh, area and all kinds of stuff. So, but anyway, that's what a DC man is basically a fancy name for a uh, fireman.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. Uh, beginning in August of nineteen sixty-eight, D'Angelo attended. Sierra College in Rockland, California. He graduated with an associate degree in police science with honors. And then he attended Sacramento State University in 1971, where he earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Uh, he later took postgraduate courses and further police training at the College of Sequoias and Vesalia. Uh, and then uh, completed a 32-week police internship at the police department in Roseville. Um, he went through a lot of schooling. Mm -hmm. He really did. For somebody to be, you know, because serial killers and the like usually aren't that meticulous Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when it comes to education and everything. But he uh, from May of 1973 to August of 1976, D'Angelo was a burglary unit police officer in Exeter, having relocated from Citrus Heights. He then served in Auburn from August of 1976 to July of 1979 when he was arrested for shoplifting, a hammer, and dog repellent. He was sentenced to six months of probation and fired that October. During the process of being fired, D'Angelo threatened to kill the police chief and allegedly stalked the chief's house.
0: Now, when um, the, you know, because he you know he was a police officer at this time so you know as the case progresses investigators always assumed that the golden state killer just had a scanner and was listening in on things um because they didn't realize that he was um you know internal to the agency
1: right and he was part of the burglary unit so he he probably responded to a lot of his own burglaries yeah which made it easy to cover up
0: Yep. And he was also privy to information about patrollings, um, amping up neighborhood watches. He knew exactly where the risks were, and um, that's how he started hunting for his victims.
1: In uh, May of 1970, D'Angelo became engaged to a nursing student, Bonnie Jean Coldwell. A classmate at Sierra College, but she ended the relationship in 1971 after he became manipulative and abusive. Culminating in his demand that she help him cheat on a, uh, psycho- uh, psychology test. And, uh, after the breakup, he attempted to force her to marry him by threatening her with a gun. And that didn't go anywhere. I guess she didn't report it to police. Uh, he never not have with anything on that. But, uh. A couple of years later, in November of 1973, he married Sharon Marie Huddle of Citrus Heights. The wedding was held at Auburn First Congressional Church. And in 1980, they purchased a house in Citrus Heights where he was eventually arrested decades later. Uh, Huddle became a divorce attorney in 1982. Remember, they had three daughters. Two were born in Sacramento, and one was born in Los Angeles. That seemed where the... Uh, it says the couple separated in 1991. I don't know how long that separation lasted. But mm-hmm. they didn't get a divorce until July of 2018 after D'Angelo's arrest. I don't know if they just stayed married yeah. and never got divorced or mm-hmm. how that all worked.
0: And out. and some people do. They're kind of like, you know, why well, go through all the hassle of the thing? We're not together. We're not going to remarry. So what's the point? But right. um, I find it odd. But. To each their own, I guess.
1: But as soon as he was arrested, she filed for a divorce immediately. And it was finalized Mm -hmm. next year. Um, He committed most of the offenses and everything that we're going to get into here in a second. While he was married and raising a family. And neither his wife nor his children ever suspected he was committing any serious crimes. His eldest daughter claimed that he was a perfect father. While his wife believed in his dishonest reasons for leaving the home. She never suspected anything
0: yeah so you know as he would go do these things he would probably telling her oh I'm gonna go play cards with the boys or uh I'm gonna go down and you know hit some balls or something and she was like okay and great right. she, she fell for all of that
1: um i didn't find it i looked through a couple different places but i couldn't find anything um on his employment history in the 80s i don't know what he did i'm assuming he was a mechanic well, that's what he did from the 90s on up. Uh, he worked as a truck mechanic at a Save Mart supermarket distribution center in Roseville. Roseville. Mm-hmm. And he was arrested in 1996 for failing to pay for gas, but that charge was dismissed. But um, I assume that's what he did in the 80s, was he was a mechanic. Um, yeah, yeah. But before I get anywhere past the 90s, I'll go back to uh, 1974 here. When he had, uh, let's see, how old would he have been? I don't know. I don't know.
0: He was born in 45, yeah. so, so 20.
1: 29 years old?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you had the, uh, I I'm, I'm, I'm hope I'm saying this right, right? the Vesalia. Uh Rans- Visalia. Yeah, Vassalia Ransacker is what this That was one
0: of his uh like AKAs. Yeah, it was um, actually
1: one of the first AKAs he had. Um but uh, it was long suspected that the training ground of the criminal who became the East Area rapist was Vesalia. Although earlier Vesalia crimes dating back as early as May of nineteen seventy three and other sprees like that of the Cordova cat burglar and the extra ransacker, as well as the Visalia burglaries that took place after the McGowan shooting, are now suspected to be linked also. Um, Over a period of 20 months, D'Angelo is believed to have been responsible for one murder and around 120 burglaries. Um, In late April of 2018, the Visalia chief of police stated that while there was no DNA linking D'Angelo to the central valley cases his department had other evidence that played a role in the investigation and he was confident that the Visalia ransacker had been captured though the statutes of limitations for burglary had each expired d'angelo was formally charged in 2018 um with the first degree murder of claudius nelling in 1975 and in 2020 he pled guilty whatever but um
0: um, so I, I found a, a thing that said that, um, the golden state killer didn't let barking dogs stop him. Um, it was assumed that he had brought treats for neighborhood dogs and got to know pets on the blocks that he targeted because he was there so often. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he wouldn't hesitate to harm an animal if necessary. So one night the golden state killer cut a, uh, 45 kilogram which is 120 pound uh, german shepherd's belly open to keep him from being discovered but after the dog went to the vet uh got 70 stitches and he survived so no worries there um but the alleged um was also he was also uh caught st- well you, we talked about that earlier caught stealing the can of dog repellent right yeah so He didn't let dogs stop him. When we talked about Israel Keys, you know, a couple weeks ago, if you missed that, you can get it on the download. Um, He didn't. He targeted homes without dogs, but this guy, he didn't care. Didn't bother him at all.
1: Um, The first recorded ransacking occurred on March 19th, 1974. When a sum of $50 in coins are stolen from a piggy bank, of all things. Most of the ransackers' activities involved breaking into houses, rifling through, or vandalizing the owner's possessions, scattering women's underclothing, and stealing a range of low-value items, while often ignoring banknotes and higher-valued items in plain sight. Uh, The ransacker would often arrange or display items in the house and items emptied, including piggy banks and coin jars, and stolen items often included blue-chip stamps, foreign or historic coins, and personal items such as uh, single earrings, cufflinks, rings, or medallions, but also included six weapons and various types of ammunition. Multiple same-day ransackings were common as well, including 12 separate incidents on November 30th,
0: 1974.
1: Twelve in one day. Yeah, that's crazy. Set common characteristics of the burglary included climbing fences and moving through established routes such as parks, walkways, ditches, and trails. Attempting to pry open multiple points of entry, particularly windows. Leave, leaving multiple points of escape open, especially windows as well as the house, garage, and garden doors. Uh, moving removed window screens onto beds and into bedrooms and placing warning items such as dishes or bottles against doors and on door handles. Uh, he had to be wearing gloves also, they assume, because there's lack of any fingerprint evidence anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. The Golden Stick Killer would often stake out houses long before he would enter. Um, when he did go inside, he already knew the layout entirely of the home. Um, He knew how many people lived in the home. He knew their schedules. He would even learn their names. Um, Sometimes he would enter days or hours before an attack and prepare the home to his liking. This would entail small actions that would go unnoticed, like disabling a porch light bulb or unlocking windows. Um, He would also... um, do more advanced planning, like emptying bullets for many guns that he might find cutting phone lines, um, or even staging patio furniture, um, so that he could get out easier. Um, so these are things to kind of look for when in your own homes, by the way, folks, um, he would also hide shoelaces and other materials that could be used for ligatures inside the house, uh, for as preparation for his attacks. Um, and then uh, I also found a thing that police kept finding change and jewelry and other stolen objects on roofs of homes in targeted neighborhoods. Um, initially they thought he was actually throwing the goods onto the rooftops and was going to go back and get it. But then they realized um, that he was actually crawling around on the rooftops and these items were actually falling out of his pockets Um while it's still unknown uh, if um, he kept trophies from all of his break-ins and all of his other um, illegal activity, um, it was obvious that theft was not his motivation. Sometimes he would even drop items from other homes in somebody else's home on purpose. And then I also found a thing that um, once the Golden State Killer graduated to attacking couples, which we'll get into, um, he formed a horrifying new routine meant to strip the male of his perceived power. He would demand the wife tie up the husband, and then he would place a teacup and a saucer on his back, on the husband's back. If I hear those dishes rattle, she's dead. And then he would take the wife or do whatever he was going to do to her. Um, This tactic worked the majority of the time as there was only one instance uh, where a male attempted to fight back. Um, The teacup and the saucer move among many actions, um, like the use of the sophisticated diamond knots, that's what uh, led authorities to believe that he served in the armed forces. That was a note I had from earlier, sorry. Russ, are you still there? Am I back now? There you are, you're back now.
1: I had to reset Podbean. But at least the show didn't cut off.
0: I don't think it cut off. I I kept talking even if it did cut off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's positive. (laughs)
0: Oh, Shane confirmed it's still going, so.
1: Okay, yeah, so that brings us to uh, September 11th, 1975. It's uh, the first uh, reported shooting by uh, our guy here, Mr. D'Angelo. He broke into the home of Claude Snelling, 45. Snelling, a journalism professor at the College of... The Sequoias had previously chased a uh, prowler discovered under his 16 year old daughter's bedroom window around 10 p.m. on February 5th, 1975. And on September 11th, he was awakened around 2 a.m. by strange noises. Sorry, am trying to breathe. Upon uh, leaving his bedroom, Snelling ran through the open back door and confronted a ski mask intruder in his carport attempting to kidnap his daughter, who had been subdued with threats of being stabbed or shot. (sighs) Sorry, trying to breathe. All congested. Uh, Snelling was then shot twice, staggered back into the house to his wife, and later died. After the shooting, the assailant punched and kicked the daughter, leaving her on the ground and fled the scene a stolen bicycle tied to the assailant was found nearby at 615 redwood street and after the murder Beth snelling uh, 16 underwent hypnosis in order to gather further details the Visalia police also committed more resource to apprehending the ransacker and after a four thousand dollar reward was posted nighttime stakeouts were set up near houses that he had previously prowled, but the ransacking continued anyway. Um, around 8.30 p.m. on December 12, 1975, a masked man entered the backyard of a house at 1505 West Kaweah Avenue, near where the ransacker had been reported to frequent, and when Detective William McGowan, on stakeout inside the garage, Attempted to detain the man, the suspect shrieked, removed his mask, and feigned surrender after McAllen fired a warning shot. However, after jumping the fence to the house at 1501, he also pulled out a revolver with his left hand and fired once near McAllen's face, shattering his flashlight. Nearby officers rushed to aid McAllen, and the shooter was able to escape. Items collected as evidence included the flashlight, tennis shoe tracks, uh, drop loot, and namely uh, blue-chip stamps and a sock full of coins. And, uh... Uh... See that, uh... Brings us to where D'Angelo moved to Sacramento area around in nineteen sixty or 1976, where his crimes escalated from burglary to rape. Um... Okay. The crimes initially centered around the then-unincorporated areas of Carmichael, Citrus Heights, and uh, Rancho Cordova, east of Sacramento. His uh, initial modus operandi was to stalk middle-class neighborhoods at night in search of women who were alone in one-story homes, usually near a school, creek, trail, or other open space that would provide a quick escape. He was seen a number of times, but always successfully fled. And on one occasion, he shot and seriously wounded a young pursuer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Most victims had seen or heard a prowler on the property before the attacks, and many had experienced break-ins. Police believed mm-hmm. that the offender would conduct extensive reconnaissance in a targeted neighborhood, looking into windows and prowling into yards before selecting a home to attack. It was believed that he sometimes entered the homes of future victims to unlock windows, unload guns, and plant ligatures for later use. He frequently telephoned future victims, sometimes for months in advance, to learn their daily routines. And although D'Angelo originally targeted women alone in their homes or with children, he eventually preferred attacking couples. This change in his M.O is believed to be a direct result of media reports claiming he only attacked women alone in the home. His usual method was to break in through a window or sliding glass door and awaken the sleeping occupants with a flashlight, threatening them with a handgun. Victims were subsequently bound with ligatures, often shoelaces, that he had found or brought with him, then blindfolded and gagged them with towels that he had ripped into strips. The female victim was usually forced to tie up her male companion before she was bound. The bindings were often so tight that the victim's hands were numb for hours after being untied. He then separated the couple, often stacking dishes on the male's back and threatening to kill everyone in the house if he heard them rattle. He would then move the female to the living room and rape her often again and again. And a decade later, police reported that D'Angelo repeatedly said, I hate you, Bonnie, during a uh, 1978 rape, the 37th attack.
0: And Bonnie was his wife. Yes. Or his... Uh, yes. Um, so I also saw... Um. when um he he had the control you know he also um escalated by raping the wives of their husbands while they were home and you i know you said that um he would have the victims pleasure him after they were tied up already he because of his research he would even use their names and reference familial relationships implying that he knew each victim um, of course, he was always, you know, gloved and um, had a ski mask or some kind of mask on his face. Um, so, yeah, crazy guy.
1: Yeah, and uh, sometimes he would spend hours in the home ransacking closets and drawers, eating food in the kitchen, uh, drinking their beer, and then he'd go back, rape the women again, and make additional threats. Victims sometimes thought he had left the house before he jumped out from the darkness, and uh, he typically stole items, often personal objects and items of little value, but occasionally cash and firearms. He would then creep away, leaving the victim's uncertain whether he had left or not. He had uh, was believed to have escaped on foot through a series of yards and then using a bicycle to go home or to a car making extensive use of parks, schoolyards, creek beds, and other open spaces that kept him off the street. Uh, The East Area Rapist, as he was known at this time, operated in Sacramento County from the first attacks in June of 1976 until May of 1977. After a three-month gap, he struck in nearby San Joaquin County in September before returning to Sacramento for all but one of the next ten attacks. Uh, the rapist attacked five times during the summer of 1978 in Stallius and Yolo counties before disappearing again for three months. Attacks then moved primarily to Contra Costa County in October and lasted until July of 1979.
0: So um, the killer um, skill set obviously is disturbing. And he proved to uh, be committed to it. Um, Because part of that reconnaissance that he used to do when he would watch his victims is he would stand outside the homes for so long that his shoe prints were several inches deep in the dirt. Uh, Tennis shoe prints and DNA evidence were present at most of the crime scenes.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Um,
0: He crafted a routine, um, like you said, with uh, the flashlight. I think that's going to be all repetitive, so I'm not going to say it. Yeah, sometimes they would lay there for hours, even after he left, because they, he would tease them. He would wait for a, an extended period, and then as soon as they moved, he would like, um, like uh, Russ said, jump out from the darkness. And so they were they would lay there for hours and hours and hours, even after he actually did finally leave. Um, one of the things that he actually um also did while he was there is he kept their phone numbers um and that will become important here in a little bit
1: yep um, I do have a list of all the different times uh, that he uh was reported raping people um, it, it starts at like June eighteenth nineteen seventy six at 4 a.m. and it goes all the way down to uh 50 different rapes that they have reported all the way to thursday july 5th 1979 is how far that expanded and there was a couple days in here where he raped twice in the same day and um and then like i said there were periods where he went like three months in between um A young Sacramento couple, uh, 21-year-old Brian Keith Magory, a military policeman at the Mather Air Force Base, and his 20-year-old wife, Katie Lee Magory, I guess, I really hope I'm not screwing the name up too bad, were walking their dog in the Ranchero Cordova area on the night of February 2nd, 1978, There were five East Area Rapist attacks had occurred. Uh, The Magarets fled after a confrontation in the street but were chased down and shot to death. Some investigators suspected that they had been murdered by the East Area Rapists because of their proximity to the other attack locations and a shoelace was found.
0: Found nearby.
1: Sorry, I had to sneeze. Um,
0: That's okay. Bless you.
1: The uh, FBI announced on June 15th of 2016 that it was... Confident that the East Area rapers had murdered the Magarees, and on June 29, 2020, D'Angelo entered a plea of guilty to these murders. But, uh, let's see, we got about 30 minutes left. That leads us into uh, 1979 through the 1986 era of D'Angelo here, where he was known as the original Night Stalker. Uh, hmm. Shortly after the rape committed on July 5th, 1979, D'Angelo moved to Southern California and began killing his victims. First striking in Santa Barbara County in October. The attacks lasted until 1981 with a lone 1986 attack. Only the couple in the first attack survived, alerting the neighbors and forcing the intruder to flee. The other victims were murdered by gunshot or bludgeoning. Since D'Angelo was not linked to these crimes for decades, he was known as the night stalker in the area before being renamed the original Night Stalker after the serial killer Richard Ramirez received the former nickname.
0: Yeah, so they had to correct themselves, I think, because right around this time, Richard Ramirez was doing his um, thing. And so they were calling him the Night Stalker, the Night Stalker. Well, then Richard Ramirez got to where he was doing his thing, And then they kept calling him the night stalker. So now they had to go back and, uh, the gentleman we're talking about now, um, Joseph D'Angelo and say the original night stalker, (laughs) because they couldn't let, uh, Richard Ramirez have, you know, these claims or whatever, um, if they're in any kind of weird competition, but crazy.
1: Right. And, uh, they, uh, Let's see. The first one was, like I said, it was a botched attack. It was on October 1st, 1979. Um, The second attack was December 30th, 1979, where Robert Offerman and Deborah Manning were murdered. And then Thursday, March 13th, 1980, Charlene and Lemon Smith. Uh, Tuesday, October 19th, 1980, Keith and Patrice Harrington. Uh, Friday, February 6th, 1981, Manella Winterman, and Monday, July 27th, 1981, Sherry uh, Domingo and Gregory Sanchez, and then the long one in 1986 was May 4th, and that was Janelle Cruz. Mm -hmm. But um, on October 1st, we'll go back to this one here and tell you about it. An intruder broke in and tied up a galette, a couple alarmed at hearing him say, I'll kill him to himself. The man and woman tried to escape when he left the room, and the woman screamed. Realizing that the alarm had been raised, the intruder fled on a bicycle. A neighbor, who was an FBI agent, responded to the noise and pursued the perpetrator, who abandoned the bicycle and a knife, and escaped on foot through local backyards. The attack was later linked to the Offerman. Manning murders by shoe prints, and twine used to bind both victim, uh, all the victims. And then uh, on December thirtieth, like I said, forty-four-year-old uh, Robert Offerman and thirty-five-year-old Deborah Manning were found shot to death at Offerman's condominium on Avia Pecklin and Galeta. Offerman's bindings were untied, indicating that he had lunged at the attacker. Uh, neighbors had heard gunshots. Paw prints of a large dog were found at the scene, leading to speculation that the killer may have brought one with him. The killer had also broken into the vacant adjoining residence and stolen a bicycle, later found abandoned on a street north of the scene from a third residence in the complex. Um, The March 13th uh, murders of 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lemmon Smith were found murdered in their Ventura home. Uh, Charlene Smith had been raped. A log from a wood pile on the side of the house was used to bludgeon the victims to death. The wrists and ankles had been bound with drapery cords and an unusual Chinese and an, uh, an unusual Chinese knot, a diamond knot, were used on Charla, Charlene's wrist. The same knot was noted in the East Area Rapist Attacks, at least one confirmed case of which was publicly known. Uh, the murders were therefore briefly given the name the Diamond Knot Killer. And then on August 19th, 24-year-old Keith Eli Harrington and 27-year-old Patrice Briscoe Harrington were found bludgeoned to death in their home on Cockle Share Drive in Dana Point's Nigel Shores gated community. Uh, Patrice Harrington had also been raped, and although there was evidence that the Harrington's wrists and ankles were bound, no murder weapon or ligatures were found at the scene. The Harringtons had been married for three months at the time of their deaths. And Patrice was a nurse and Ivan Irvine. Irvin? Irvine. Yeah, Irvine. Thank you. And Keith mm-hmm. was a medical student at UC Irvine. Keith's brother, Bruce, later spent nearly $2 million supporting California Proposition 69, authorizing DNA collection from all of California's felons and certain other criminals. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, On February 6th of 1981, 20-year-old Manella Witherin was raped and murdered in her Irvine home. Although Witherin's body had signs of being tied before she was bludgeoned, no murder weapon or ligatures were found. Though the victim was married, her husband was away, hospitalized, and she was alone at the time of the attack. Her television was found in the backyard, possibly to kill his attempt to make the crime appear to be a botched robbery. Um, and then on July 27th of 1981, 35-year-old Cherie Domingo and 27-year-old Gregory Sanchez became the original Night Stalker's 10th and 11th murder victims. Both were attacked in uh Domingo's resident at Taltic Way in Galeta, several blocks south of Robert Offerman's condominium, where Domingo was living temporarily. It was owned by a relative and up for sale. The offender entered the house through a small bathroom window, and uh, Sanchez had not been tied and was shot and wounded in the cheek before he was bludgeoned to death with a garden tool. Some believe that Sanchez may have realized he was dealing with the man responsible for the Offerman Manning murders and tried to tackle the killer rather than be tied up. Again, no neighbors responded to the gunshot, and uh, Sanchez's head was covered with clothes piled from the closet, and Domingo was raped and bludgeoned. Bruises on her wrists and ankles indicated that she had been tied, although their restraints were missing. A piece of shipping twine was found near the bed, and fibers from an unknown source were scattered over her body. Authorities believe that the attacker may have worked as a painter or in a similar job at... At the uh Real Thank you.
0: Shopping center. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Yeah, that place. And then that leads us to the nineteen eighty six. May fourth. Eighteen year old Janelle Lisa Cruz was found dead after she was raped and bludgeoned in her Irvine home. Her family was on vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack. A pipe wrench reported missing by Cruz's stepfather was thought to be a murder weapon. Initially, investigators in respective jurisdictions did not think the Southern California murders were connected. A Sacramento detective strongly believed that the East Area Rapist was responsible for the Goleta attacks, but the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office attributed him to a local career criminal who was later murdered. Unaware of the Galetta murders, local police and surrounding jurisdictions followed false leads related to men who were close to the female victims. One person later cleared was charged with two of the murders. And many years later, the cases were linked almost entirely by DNA testing. Um, After D'Angelo was arrested, he was also suspected of committing the 1974 Vizilea. I don't know why I can't say that.
0: Now, but. I I think we were saying Vis-
1: Visalia. Yeah, Visalia rape and murder of Jennifer Armour, the 1975 extra rape and murder of Donna Jo Richmond, and the 1978 murder of a woman and her son in Simi Valley. But was cleared as a suspect in all four, four murders by DNA testing. Uh, Victoria Police ruled out a link between DeAngelo, who died in Australia during his Navy service, and the Melbourne serial child rapist and murder known as Mr. Cruel.
0: Um, yeah. So he was ruled out of those. Um, and when they. Um, when I saw the, the show. That I watched on it. He didn't do anything to the child. The child just happened to be there. When he raped his mother. Um, the child was in the other room. Um, but. um she you know allowed herself to be taken to the other room and and done that way while the little boy was actually still sleeping in her bed um and then she went back to bed with him or he allowed her to go back to the bed with the son um and while he i think he made scrambled eggs or something uh the story
1: was yeah that's crazy that is crazy yeah um during all this time uh D'Angelo had uh, made phone calls and um, to some of the victims. Um, March eighteenth, 1977, the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office received three calls from a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist. None of them were recorded, however. Uh, the first two calls received at 4.15 and 4.30 p.m. were identical and ended up with a caller laughing and hanging up. The final call came in at 5 p.m., with the caller saying I'm the east area or the east side rapist and I have my next victim already stalked and you guys can't catch me. Um move all the way to December of 1977. A man claiming to be a rapist called the Sacramento Police Department saying you're never going to catch me, east area rapist. You dumb fuckers, I'm going to fuck again tonight. Be careful. The call was recorded and then later released. As with the previous call, the next victim was attacked that night. Um, and then he called him back uh, seven days later on December 9th of 1977. And uh it said during the 1977 Christmas season, a previous victim received a phone call that she attributed to her attacker. The caller said, Merry Christmas, it's me again. Yeah, she
0: said that... um after, it was three decades after she was raped, and he called her house and terrorized her um saying um remember when we played and she uh she said she knew immediately that it was the man uh that they were calling the east area rapist who attacked her yeah
1: and that that one happened on April sixth of two thousand and one that was the final his final call. But, uh, oh, sorry. Oh no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. Person. I put it with the wrong one. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Uh, Watt Avenue, uh, December tenth, the day after the December ninth phone call, uh, shortly before ten p.m. on December tenth, nineteen seventy-seven. Sacramento authorities received two identical calls saying, "I am going to hit tonight, Watt Avenue." Both were recorded, and the caller was identified as the same person who placed a call on December second. Uh, law enforcement patrols were increased that night, and at 2.30 a.m., a masked man eluded officers after being seen bicycling on the Watt Avenue Bridge. When spotted again at 4.30 a.m., he discarded the bicycle and fled on foot. Uh, the bicycle had been stolen.
0: So he tells law enforcement, this is just me asking, okay. So he tells law enforcement, I'm going to be out on Watt Avenue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or he's gonna. he told him that he was going to do something on Watt Avenue. And then he actually showed up over there. To me, I mean, talk about taunting the police. You know, oh, yeah. telling him he's going to be there, and then actually show up. Because usually, okay, I'm going to be on, um, uh, you know, ABC Road, but then all the police are over there, and so now I'm actually going to do my thing on one, two, three. That's the way my brain thinks. Not that I'm going to go commit a crime, but. I wouldn't actually tell them where I was going and then go there. I just found that so so incredibly arrogant, I guess, is what I want to say. Okay. Thanks.
1: <laughs> Hang <on>. I'm done. <laughs> oh,
0: sorry. Okay. Um, so then January second in nineteen seventy eight. Um the first the first Known rape victim received a wrong number call asking for Ray on January 2nd, uh, 1978. The call was recorded, and the police suspect that it may have been the same caller who had been threatening, uh, making threatening phone calls to her uh, later that evening. That call was also recorded and identified by the victim as the voice of her assailant. The caller said, Gonna kill you, gonna kill you, gonna kill you, bitch. Bitch, 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 fucking whore. Thanks for letting me read that one. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you did well. You did well. Yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, and then uh, four days later, a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist called a contract counseling service and said, I have a problem. I need help because I don't want to do this anymore. After a short conversation, the caller said, I believe you are tracing this call and hung up. So, uh, I wonder what the contact counseling service is. Is that like a helpline, like a suicide hotline, I guess, kind of thing?
0: I would say, yeah. Huh.
1: I guess, yeah. But, yeah, that's who we called, and he tried to talk him. And then, like, no, nope, you're tracing this and hung up on him. Um... In 1982, a previous victim received a call at her place of work, a Denny's restaurant, during which the rapist threatened to rape her again. According to Contra Costa County investigator Paul Holes, the rapist must have a chance to patronize the restaurant and recognize his victims there. In 1991, a previous victim received a phone call from the perpetrator and spoke with him for about one minute she could hear a woman and children in the background leading to the speculation that he had a fi- uh, family. And then obviously the final call in 2001 that you had mentioned. So he actually
0: did that one from his own personal home. Yes. With his, his, his quote unquote normal life. How
1: sick. Yes. Yeah. That is, that's insane. <laughs> but, uh, It said a 91 too, and that's when they separated for a while. So I wonder, (laughs) she didn't, she didn't suspect who he was calling then.
0: Right. Maybe she caught him calling. And so she said, okay, I'm out of (laughs) here. If you're not going to tell me who you were on the phone with, I'm out. That's what we're going to say. And I did look back, um, when he, uh, said, I hate you, Bonnie. Bonnie was actually, um, that first yeah
1: that, the first that, one that, that he Beyonce became engaged is, yeah. to
0: um that um he was trying to manipulate and attempted to force her to marry him by threatening her with a gun that was her he actually married Sharon so i wanted to correct myself because i said it was his wife but it was actually probably the love of his life but she she rejected
1: him right so, uh, so now we kind of talked about who D'Angelo is and, uh, all the things that had happened there. And, uh, we're at like almost an hour mark. So I think next week we're going to talk about how he went decades without being caught in the investigation that happened that eventually led to his being caught, um, because for a long time, nobody knew who he was at all. Um, mm-hmm. He was. He had several different names, several different aliases, all over the place, and it wasn't until the two thousands that they were actually right. able to link all this stuff. And I think that's interesting in itself. And uh,
0: mm-hmm. now the um, DeAngelo's brother in law claimed that he would casually bring up the East Area rapist in conversation um, around the time that they were actually occurring. Um, neighbors also reported that he would frequently engage in loud, profound profane outbursts one neighbor reported that his family received a phone message from d'angelo threatening to quote deliver a load of death unquote because of their barking dog he was uh living with his daughter and granddaughter at the time of that arrest
1: yes but in the the same house that he had bought back in 1980 yes with sharon yes So yeah, that's crazy. He lived in that area the whole time and was never suspected of anything. But he was, yeah, I guess he never had a, yes, you know, a reason to get fingerprinted or DNA swabbed for him. So.
0: Well, I would think they would fingerprint him as a police officer.
1: That's what I was thinking too, but you know, I do mean,
0: Oh, Shane just said not back in those days, I guess. Because right. he was only a police officer for.
1: 10 years. Until he, 10 years in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, the 70s yeah. And then
0: after that. But yeah, I would have. I don't know. I just find that odd. But of course, they didn't have databases or anything, you know, until more recent. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm. I am shocked he got away with it as long as he did. As well, but, uh, you know, as long as he did, I was surprised. Um, but okay, for almost
1: thirty years. Yeah, thirty years. Yeah yeah just running around and then just stopped Bloop. yep but uh yeah, we'll get into how he got caught next week, and we'll get into the trial and what he got charged with, and where they yeah. were able to charge him with and right um, all that craziness and uh, we'll be- so that gives you' all a
0: week to um either catch up on other uh shows, the uh, true crime podcasts that we do on Tuesdays. Or you could, uh, you know, do a little research and be prepared and be ready for next week.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. Yay, yay.
1: I do appreciate you being here tonight, Lucky.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you doing the show so I can appreciate.
1: That's <laughs> good stuff. Uh, we are a Laguna Night Media production. Before we head out, um, there is a show that comes on tomorrow called 620 Patio that is hosted by yours truly here. Miss Lucky Me yes. and her uh, little man over there that washes the dishes very well, <gasps> Shane. Ah, that's not fair.
0: <laughs> you know I wash the dishes. Yeah, no, yeah. Um. Yeah, Shane the Bald Guy, or TBG, um, and I have a show at 620 Patio, and that's O as in O-H-H, and uh, our show's tomorrow night uh, because it's Valentine's Day. Uh, we didn't want to do anything heavy, and we figured there might be light participation because of um, you know dates and whatnot. So we're gonna play a game. Um, it's called Pick Your Poison. Um, it's it's a little dirtier version of Would You Rather. So uh, we're excited about it. We need participation. So if you have a moment. Uh, stop in, it's uh, tomorrow night 7pm central And uh, please come up on the panel So we can just uh, Play a game and have some fun
1: Yeah Sounds good, sounds good And tomorrow morning <coughs> You're right Eric, tomorrow morning is the Old Man's Podcast With uh, Miss Shelby here She'll be running yeah. the Valentine's Day Special over there at the Old Man's Show
0: Ooh. Ooh. Everybody tune in. It's going to be a banger. Oh, boy. Yeah,
1: you know what? I'm just going to get Eric to come up here and let him rattle come on, them off. Eric. Go ahead, Eric. Give mm,
0: Yeah, a... Eric. Save your um, thumbs.
1: Yeah, save your thumbs. <laughs>
2: well, I think, uh, of course, normally Wednesdays on the Old Man's Podcast show is Wild Card Wednesday with Shelby, but since tomorrow's Valentine's Day, it's going to be very special, so... um Hey, it might even go to the ladies if we can convince Shonda and Amber to join us, right, Shelby? yeah I might I have to break right. my. Rule. And you're invited too, Lucky. Yeah, I might Once have to definitely. break my rule and get on in the morning. I'll have to see what's <laughs> going on. Well, then, then of course you you know, Caps might be doing his chill show, and then of course Russ is doing his lunchtime show to keep us company. Um, and of course, primetime is pretty jam packed. Other than like six to a patio, you've got, you know, the potluck podcast. The beans of Winnie show is slightly doomed, and. Um, Soccer Two Alpha, and of course, th- wrap, wrapping things up, we you you can't go wrong with the Pulse Wednesday Night Variety Show, which I know you guys and Absolutely. Russ and yeah. and and other other regulars will be there for that one. Yeah,
0: That's that one's good. usually past our bedtime, but we'll we'll see. You just never know with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we show up in weird well, places sometimes.
2: <laughs> well, and of course, Russ, your your day is on Thursday at the Old Man's Podcast Show.
1: Yep, yep, yep. A, but. Yep.
2: And then, get down and then, of course, you got, round. and then I know you got, like, the Thursday manipulations of the of the mind show coming up as well. Yeah,
1: manipulation of the mind Thursday politics and the words oh, and message no. and use. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about politics at all. I don't want anybody get wrong. With it. It's just okay. a, it's manipulation tools that politicians use when they, when they speak. uh Ooh. Like uh, Donald Trump, like, so Well, um, hey, huge, if I... Yeah, it's a. Just the different things nice. they used in the people. Or or
2: or the way he says China.
1: Yeah, yeah. China. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, Interesting. Yeah. That'll be good. Yes. Yeah, so well is um, Hey if Rocky tool. Raccoon is listening Well, if Rocky Raccoon is listening, that, that show might be up his alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But of course, Friday of course is the swap doesn't lie and um it's, and in like a few other honorable mentions you have um Yeah, and I know Shelby this Saturday will be doing Doing like another herbal talk, so be on the lookout for that. Yeah, man. Yes.
0: I think on Friday is uh, outside of
2: Oz. And then Ralph is yep, Friday's outside. Yeah, us. Friday night outside of Oz. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm sure you'll probably see other podcast friends around like Amber May and James from the slightly serious show and you know and, and then you know Ralph hanging out around Podbean you know. You know, some podcast friends we haven't seen at some of our other shows lately, but we but we definitely think about them.
1: And Sunday, I got the tribute show, and some of the other Laguna 3, Knot. Eastern, yeah, mm-hmm, yep. And then Cindy's
2: also do has the show coming up.
1: Yes, yes, and uh Crash does her show on Thursdays.
2: Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh
1: yeah. <coughs>
0: Excuse me. Oh goodness. He has the the coughing crud that's been going around. I think we're finally on the tail end of it knock on
2: wood oh I yeah well um, get up. well since today is mardi gras i'm gonna sh- send a picture to your discord russ um if you could ever post it in the live chats of shows that you're on and i'll post it tomorrow kind of on fancy. the audience podcast show plus i <coughs> um i'm gonna plus like a valentine's cake i got at the grocery store today ah cute Uh, they're really good. The picture
0: prior to... Oh, you've already cut into the cake. I was going to say, is the picture prior to... Before I came into
2: it. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, you also get the little baby Jesus toy, but they don't bake it in anymore.
0: They don't.
2: Nope.
0: Unfortunately not. I thought they would. I guess because people could check on it. Yeah, I mean I guess they had to Our break local tradition. We'll do that, but we're we're a small town, so
2: I I got it in the cinnamon flavor instead of the cheese flavor.
0: Oh, I I would prefer that too. I'm not much of a cheesecake person or a cream cheese person.
2: Mm. Right. Well, and it has of course the Mardi Gras colours yellow, green, and purple.
0: Yes, that would be awesome. Nice. I have had a king cake before. Um and it had the little baby in it, but um I haven't had one in a very long time. And Shane even asked me, do you want me to order a king cake? And I was like, nah, because it's, you know, that's a lot of food we don't need. But it would have been kind of neat.
2: Well, of course, with my Valentine's being tomorrow, you and him would probably have a little date night thing.
0: Um, Actually, he's doing it tonight. Tuesdays, he cooks for me um, because oh, nice. of the show. So we're having steak and potato on the grill. And um, so... But, yeah, we love yeah. each other every day, so Valentine's Day is <laughs> just another day for us.
2: Well, and, of course, and if, and in case anybody missed this morning's Old Man's Podcast show, um, we serenaded Gary from the GJRB podcast since today was his birthday. But too bad we didn't have Short Pants Robert there to sing happy birthday because usually when he, he's part, part of the drum kit, so i happy <laughs> birthday. His really stands out. And then if Spicoli drops by tomorrow, I mean, he might get serenaded by the Drunken Sailor Choir too.
0: Well, happy birthday. That would have been cool. Yeah, I've oh, since the first, I've really tried to stay off a live podcast during the day, but it's really <laughs> hard. I miss everybody.
1: <laughs> so you're saying that... Uh, well, then Crax will have her birthday on the 29th. Oh. So so you're saying, Lucky, that because you were able to co-host a show with me on Tuesdays, that I get mm-hmm. Shane to cook for you. Yes. That is that is awesome.
0: Every Tuesday he co- has been cooking for me ever since we started. You've started letting me be a co-host every Tuesday.
1: that, that so is So we'll work awesome on a menu it, right? for the week.
0: <laughs> it is, Tuesdays are my favorite day of the week now. And so we'll work on the menu and I'll say, oh, what are you cooking on Tuesday? And he'll say, hmm, and he'll figure it out and he'll tell me what ingredients he needs. And he does all
1: the cooking. That is all right. That is all right. It is definitely all right. And you get steak and potatoes tonight. So that's, that's even bigger bonus. Yep. Yep.
0: He's, uh, got the potatoes on the grill already. He, uh, put them in foil with seasoning and, um, butter and a little bit of olive oil. And, oh, I
1: can't wait. Yeah. That sounds good. That sounds really good. Well, I hope that y'all really enjoy that meal tonight. And, uh, Looking forward to your show tomorrow. Um, come back next week and join us here for part two of the golden skate. Golden I don't know why I keep wanting to call it the golden skate. The golden <laughs> state killer. And, uh, golden State Killer. Yeah. I was telling my wife about it earlier that it was doing the golden state, and I kept saying the golden skate, and she's like, Who is this golden skate guy? I was like, you know, man <laughs> Nobody He's running a monopoly around Monopoly board Yeah, case. nobody running around on golden skates killing people. <laughs> <laughs> be that
0: would be yeah. a kind of interesting getaway, I guess. Right. But
1: he's wearing heelys. That's what it is, right? Yeah. But, uh, or
0: is that those little ones with the? their tennis shoes with the little wheel in them. Yeah, the yeah. kids, yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Adults, I've seen adults wear them too, but only in San Francisco. Uh, but we will be back next week with that at the same time at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. We do appreciate you for hanging out with us tonight and uh, going through the first part of everything with us and uh, being patient uh, with my little illness that I'm trying to fight off. But uh,
2: Well, um, you'll try to be back <coughs> later unless Brett and Scott decide to beat you. Scared. All
1: right. <coughs> I'll be back on the night again. All right,
2: then. All right, yeah. He's on the
0: he's on the downhill slide of yeah, it now.
1: Yeah. If nothing else, Eric, I am the king of overnight podcasting.
0: Yep, we got the podfather right. and the king of overnight podcasts right, right. here. So, right.
1: Make sure you join, but well, we're about to start heading on out of here. <laughs> yeah. There goes the uh, exit music, Lucky's theme song, if you will.
2: Yeah, my theme song. Ooh. Well, and um, and I know you're about to give the this has been a looking to not meet a production tag.
1: Uh, You just gave it, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
2: You did it. You did it. (laughs) Well, and um, we'll see you on Podbean in the meantime. Yes, sir. Thank you all
0: for coming. We had a good time. See you next week. Thanks for
1: jumping up, Eric. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Appreciate you. uh, Thank you. I'll see all of y'all soon. Thank you so much. I am Russell. I am the host of Outside of Normal. And like Eric said, this has been a Laguna Night Media production. Check out all the other shows underneath it and y'all have a blessed night.